Oh, thank you for joining me on this um, midnight in the UK, Monday morning. Um, what time is it where you are right now? So it's actually 5.30 on Sunday night. All right, fabulous. The magic of the internet. Um, thank you for connecting with me on uh, Facebook, which uh, we're through a group, and uh, we had a great conversation about your how you kind of had depression and anxiety and how you've kind of managed that and how you've been able to overcome this and this whole uh, engagement is going to our conversation is going to be around that so if you can give us a bit of an insight into yourself what you do and uh, your story really about anxiety and depression yeah well I'll give you the I'll give you the I don't want to say cliff notes version but we'll give you the highlights to kind of give you some background um so I have struggled with anxiety most of my life and I guess I didn't really realize that what I was dealing with when I was younger was anxiety. So, you know, 25, 30 years ago, I don't ever think I heard the word anxiety. And maybe, I'm sure you can relate, like that wasn't a word. And um, when I got into high school, into my teenage years, I found myself struggling a lot with anxiety and depression and addiction. And it kind of spiraled into an eating disorder for me, a wide variety of eating disorders. And I found myself really struggling to try to fit in. I didn't love myself. I didn't love my body. Uh, my home life was very troublesome. My parents love me. They're great people. But they themselves were struggling with codependency and addiction. And you only learn from what you observe. And I observed types of behaviors that were negative and self-inflicting harm and um, anger and struggle with love. And so I kind of interpreted that like, I'm a bad person, I'm not good enough. And that gave me a lot of anxiety um, and a lot of mental instability with relationships with other people and really struggling to wonder if I fit in and if people understood me. And so I constantly had a lot of anxiety about worrying about what other people think. And I would get inside my head. So if you know anxiety, you get inside your head thinking that you know what someone else is thinking about the future and analyzing and critiquing the past. And so I was caught in this world, which I know with people anxiety, you can relate 24 seven. And my way to cope with it was an eating disorder was binging and purging or restricting in order for me to cope with the anxiety. And I didn't know I had anxiety, uh, which was very interesting because my parents put me in therapy and no one ever said to me, hey, you have anxiety. I was told I had depression and I have addiction issues, but no one ever pointed out to me what anxiety is and how to manage it. And I wish someone maybe would have, and I was maybe in the era I am today, we're in today. And so fast forward, I ended up finding yoga just by means of a coworker saying, hey, you look like someone that would practice yoga. Something flipped inside of me. Something was like, whoa, Hope, you need to seek that out. And I did. And after my first class, I was hooked. It was the first time in as long as I can remember that I didn't have anxiety for 60 minutes, for a few hours. And I didn't remember what that felt like to not constantly be in that fight, flight, or freeze response to life. I couldn't remember what that was like. And yoga gave me this tiny little window of time where I was just me. And I hadn't been just me in a really long time. It was both scary and encouraging simultaneously. And so my yoga practice just kind of slowly evolved and it eventually led me to a yoga teacher training. It eventually led me to open my own yoga studio. And mind you, during this whole time, I'm still going through 
my my addiction and I'm still finally getting into recovery and dealing with all of the stuff that I had to relearn as an adult that I was never taught as a child on how to just function in society, how to have relationships. And so I'm learning all this as now I'm teaching other people. And the cool thing is I always thought in my head, I had to have all my shit together, excuse my language, before I went and did something. And what I learned was people liked real. People were attracted to my classes because I was sharing my struggles and I was real to them. And the people were coming out of the woodwork, sharing their anxiety and their depression and their addiction issues. And they felt safe in my class as a result. And then fast forward, I, my husband and I got married and we ended up losing our first daughter shortly after she was born. And everybody thought I was going to spiral out of control back into major anxiety, addiction. And I did the opposite because of my yoga practice. I actually went forward and I'm so thankful for that experience now because it really helped me face my issues head on because I didn't want to have a family dealing with the stuff I was really dealing with. So she kind of did the opposite for me. She was like, Hope, you need to get this together. You need to start facing this stuff you know, use your yoga practice, use your meditation, use your breathing. You can do this. And that's kind of what her, her death and her loss did for me in my life. And that's kind of brought me to where I am today. How, how long did you suffer? Um, how many years did you suffer for, would you say? Well, I, I would say I really recognized that I started using food as um, a means to handle my emotional and mental struggles, probably around 12 years old. I'm sorry about that. My light just went off. Um, probably around 12 years old. So really, I'm 34 now. So that's just to kind of give you an idea. That's quite a while. 20 years you kind of suffered then. And what yeah. what what kind of anxiety were you having? Was it more social? Were you feel what, what was it more intrusive thoughts? Was it OCD? Um, well, I always say I had a plethora. <laughs> so, um, so I, I had a lot of, um, self-anxiety, a lot of, um, just inner criticism, but I also, my dad deals with this too. I have a lot of social anxiety. So I really struggled in large groups. Um, it was very uncomfortable, especially if I was with people I didn't know because I, I, it was like, okay, do they like me? Do they not like me? Am I the weird person? Like my whole inner voice of wondering what they're thinking of me would just take over. I remember it was probably about eight years ago. I went to a wedding um, for a friend of mine from high school in California. And I, my husband and I were the only ones there from Wisconsin. And I only knew his parents and him and his wife. And I ended up in the porta potty having a panic attack because I felt so out of place and so uncomfortable. And I'm like, hope. Like, get yourself together. Like, this should be awesome. Like, it's a great vacation. And, and here you are crying in, in the porta potty. And I remember that day because I remember saying to myself, you have a choice to have fun or not have fun, Hope. You have a choice. You can do this. These people aren't here to attack you. These people aren't here to judge you. These people aren't here to say that you're, you're not, not welcome. You're not welcoming yourself. And so that was kind of like the brink and turning point for me where I really actually started to realize I can use the stuff that yoga taught me in my life, not just on the yoga mat. Even though I knew all this stuff, I was struggling to apply it. And it was in that moment in that porta potty that I was like, I can do this. I can move forward. And I went back out there and I, it wasn't easy and it was uncomfortable, but I, I stayed. 
I stayed and I tried to interact and like talk to people I didn't know. And so I was moving outside my comfort zone where most of my life I was taught if, if it's not good, push it away and run. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I survived it. <laughs> it's very important for the listener and the viewer to understand that you control the emotion. The emotion doesn't control you, which is what you're basically saying and what you did. People that are suffering from any form of anxiety are letting the emotion control them, thinking, oh my God, I can't. We, 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 we all get sad. We all get upset. We all have ups and downs. But if we, we are the ones that choose to stay there. If, if, we, if we're having a bad day, we are choosing to stay in a bad mood. That's us. That's not the emotion controlling us. I had somebody on this morning, I was doing a pre-record, and he had an anger problem and he went to jail for eight years because of abusing, uh, physical abusing of his wife. And he, he was saying that, I learned that when you get mad or you get angry, you move to the other room and you can calm down. You are in control of the emotion and I think that's a very important point. And I'm glad you kind of touched on that and it kind of helped you because it's very important. A lot of people just for some reason switch it around and think the emotion is controlling them. Well, and it's baby steps too. And, and I, I share that because I've been teaching breath work and yoga and mindfulness for almost 20 years. It's not like the second I started this, I instantly was healed. And you know what I mean? And so it's like the application of it. That's why I love yoga so much because I was called the incubator. You practice on your yoga mat in a safe environment and the way you interact and react with the poses and the people and your breathing and your teachers, the same way you're dealing with life. So you practice it on your mat and then you go out and practice it in life and then you fail and you don't do it. And, and you know, you struggle and then you come back again and then you go out again. And so I did that for about 10 years before I really felt like I could, could successfully start to interact with life and people and realize too, that even if they don't like me, that's okay. And that was such a huge part of my anxiety because my dad was so critical of everybody. Um, it, growing up, he just analyzed and judged everyone behind the scenes. So I interpreted that as everyone is doing that to me constantly, which making that connection, which for people that's listening, once you are at a place where you can start to connect those dots, that was so healing for me with my anxiety, where I started to realize where it was coming from and that that's false. That's a lie. People don't really think that way, at least not the majority of people. And that was so helpful for me when I would have anxiety attacks out there in the world. I would be like this. Not everyone is like your father. Not everyone is like that. Just because someone's not talking to you doesn't mean they don't like you. You can do this whole like you can do this. You're not going to get on with everybody. It's not possible. Exactly. You know, you know. That's okay. Yeah, that's fine. That is actually normal. It's, 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 it's not normal for everyone to get on with you, in my opinion. If you're in a room with 10 people, you probably won't get on with eight, seven of them. You know, if you work in a workplace, in an office with 20 people, you probably won't get on with like three quarters of them. And that is very normal. Um, and I think one thing you've highlighted is people are looking for quick fixes. There is no quick fix to this. And that's the first step. On your own, when you start your recovery, you need to understand that there's no quick step. There's no quick fix, sorry. That's it. It's going to take time. But the day you realize that, your recovery starts. It's small steps, small steps. Each day will get better. But people are waking up thinking, I want a pill and I want it to stop. It's not going to stop. I know this sounds harsh. It, it sounds cold, but this is what's going to make you realize 
that you're looking for something that's not possible. If you've suffered from anxiety or depression or anything like that, or anger or any form of mental health, you've probably suffered a long time and you've only just realised you're suffering from it maybe five, ten years into it and think you might have had a panic attack or something would have happened and think, shit, I've got a problem. So if you if you've suffered for something for 10 20 years you're expecting to fix that in 2 3 days or 2 3 months it's not possible but when you go onto that road to recovery and you start to take them steps your life will get a lot better and you will come out the other end a lot better person in my opinion and from talking from experience as well because i see all these rubbish people right online wake up sleep more eat well you think it's not that possible. You're basically saying, do these three things and your mental health gets better. Yeah, it does get better, but somebody needs to put this into perspective on how long this can take because people are looking for quick fixes. They're going to doctors looking for antidepressants. Oh, it's not making me better. There's no quick fix. And I see this everywhere. I, see, I read articles and the five ways you can stop anxiety. It's rubbish. It's absolute rubbish. How can you do that? Yeah, it's not possible. You know that. You, you, you're, and I'm glad you mentioned that it takes a long time. You, from an emotional scarring point of view, you'll probably never get rid of that scar, you know, that what you but you will learn to live with it and use it in a positive way. And that's the exactly. key. Using it as power and an empowerment to realize that you don't have to be a victim of your circumstances. And that's kind of the reminder for me. And, and my father has chosen not to get well. And it actually has motivated me to get well so I can break the cycle because he has anxiety and depression and addiction, and I love him to death. I don't want my kids to repeat the cycle that I've repeated. And so it's an act of consciousness. In, in yoga, we always say with physical issues, think one month for every year that you've been dealing with a minimum to really see the change. Now think about if you adapt that to mental health, minimum, minimum. So that means that, you know, it's not going to be a day or two yoga classes or, you know, even a month or a year. I've been working on this actively since I was, I would say about 20 years old. So that's 14 years that I've been working on my mental health. And it's really not been until these last five years that I feel like I'm really making really big successful strides because those first couple of years, it's like figuring out what it's like to just live without it or figure out what you want and your dreams and your desires without anxiety. It's not just an instant fix because you kind of have to learn how to relive all over again. You have to learn how to relive all over again. You have to start figuring yourself out again. And and, and, and you have to figure out how you're going to... So for, for some people, yoga might work. For some people, going to the gym might work. For some people, a psychologist might work. Try everything until you find what's right for you. Everybody is different. You know, try to try to see what try. That's what some people work with antidepressants. Fine, use them. There's nothing wrong with them. trying though. Keep trying and find what works. Maybe it's a multitude of everything. Whatever five things. Don't judge and criticize just because somebody read a blog post and it changed their life. That might not be the case for you. Or someone came to their first yoga class and they just felt transformed. That might be the case for you. It doesn't mean that you won't ever be successful and that you won't ever want to live without anxiety. You first have to have that desire to want to get well and then realize that there's going to be a lot of failure and falling. And that's never a bad thing. You know, it's it's those little humps as you learn. When I was early in recovery, for me, it was 
uh, many, many, many relapses in the hundreds of, of trying to get well. But my mentor reminded me that every single day you're a little closer when you forgive yourself and start the next day and say, okay, what did I learn from this? How can I move forward? And so as I moved out of my eating disorder and I recognized that the anxiety and the depression were still there, like the sand sifter, I had to do the same thing. Okay, Hope, you may have lost it and freaked out at that party or said no to the gathering because you didn't know the three people that were there and you only knew two and that was too much for you. What did you learn from this? So that next time you can maybe be a little bit more successful. So stepping back to step forward, I have learned for me has been so helpful to integrate myself back into enjoying life again and sharing with safe people what I'm going through so that I can move forward and they can kind of help me along the way. You're not the only one out there. Don't feel like you're alone. Whoever told you that, that's a lie. There are people that want to help you and people that love you. And you have to believe that. And, you know, when I when I used to have panic attacks, I used to... So you normally have a panic attack if you're anxious on a if you're anxious more likely you'll have a panic attack and some days i wasn't anxious so if i the day i'd have a panic attack let's say i was in uh, i was in walmart and i'd have a panic i'd go back the next day to the same place just to i, I, I always try not to create that fear of i can't go there again and i can't go there again i'm going to have another one i used to go back and it takes a lot of mental it's, it's 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 easier for me to discuss it now in a way but I, the people that are suffering right now i do feel for them i do feel for them but i think there's a lot of crap information out there that's misleading and, and people are looking for a quick fix going back to antidepressants people have got a misconception about them that you take them and you should get better you in in the uk the gps actually start you off on a very small dosage and you actually get worse before you get better because my friend used to take these and then they start increasing the dosage until you get a chemical balance and then they kind of keep you on them and but they want to get you off them they should only be a short term fix they shouldn't be for, for, for long term and they'll tell you that but people get addicted to them because they're taking the, the antidepressant and you're feeling fine and then when they're coming off it they, they, they're going back to how they were because they're not putting anything else in place in their life to you know to to run along with that to put them on that road to recovery and you have to feel i would say feeling is healing and you know antidepressants can definitely help people not feel it so powerfully but you still have to feel it and, and that's still a part of life and so one of the things that i find myself talking a lot when i talk with people that are really struggling with anxiety and depression is those situations aren't going to remove themselves from life. You've removed yourself from them. So if you want to integrate back in life, you have to have the understanding that those situations are still going to be there. But remember that you have tools, okay? You can cultivate tools. There's tools out there for you to help you integrate back into those situations that can help you feel like you're a part of society again, feel like you can do this. And, and I'm saying this because that was my struggle. It was just like, I could get up in front of people and teach and speak, but put me in a regular casual social setting. I couldn't do it. I mean, all the way down to, I would freak out and have a panic attack about what clothes I would wear. Like, what if everyone's dressed up and I'm wearing jeans? What if I wear the wrong shoes? What if my color shirt stands out too much to everybody else's? And it was like, it just, I would be on my floor crying. I, I couldn't do it. And so people that don't have anxiety don't realize too the simple little things that trigger anxiety. 
Yes. It's not. I could handle the big things in life, people dying, an earthquake, you name it, like I would be fine. But the tiny little details would set me off. And so realizing that those little details still have to be dealt with in life, but you have tools that can make it easier. And you can't run from those little details, but you can come with your tool bag to say, okay, I'm going to tackle this one thing today. That's it. Not a hundred. Cause how many people go, I'm going to fix everything all at once. And then they fail and they go, I can't do this. I'm not going to try just one until you get it. And then another one until you get it, like peel it apart. This might take weeks, months, years, but peel it apart. You deserve to live happy. You do. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. I, I I do agree with what you're saying. So what what did you do? Was it just the yoga that you did for change? Did you do anything else? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So I chose initially when I was in my early twenties. I actually went to an outpatient program. Um, for an eating disorder, because I realized I clearly, I was at a point in my life where I realized I couldn't fix this myself, that, that I needed outside help and accountability. Oh my gosh. Yes. Accountability to say, you need to come back tomorrow. And if you binged and purged or you, you know, had an anxiety attack, I want you to tell me about that. It wasn't like anxiety accountability, like you're bad, but rather so I'm not a victim of my experiences anymore. Like they wanted me to voice and say, this is what happened. And something really cool happened from that where I realized that even when I failed, I could do it. And the amount of support I got when I could go a day without binging and purging, or I could go a day without crazy OCD behaviors or anxiety, the people in the room were like, oh my gosh, you got this. Like you got this. That's amazing. Like I'm working now. I'm, I'm going to get there one day, Hope. I'm going to get there. And I've never had that before. And that was so liberating that I was like, finally, somebody else that knows what it's like to suffer like this wants me to get well versus just like, what's your problem? Like, just get better and get over it. And it's like, I couldn't do that myself. And I realized that in my life that I needed somebody else to see that and see the potential in me and support me. And so that was really the first step that I took. And that was so hard because part of me felt like I was admitting I was failing. I was admitting I couldn't do it myself. But the other small part of me realized that's why these, there's people out there to help you. That's why there's people out there that want to help, that dedicate their life to helping. And going there, it was twofold because it also helped me realize that there's also people out there that don't want to get better. And in that group of 11 women, there were women in that room that didn't want to get better, that liked their addiction, that liked their anxiety, that liked that codependency, and I wasn't one of them. So that was also motivating for me that these women, some of them were double my age, and I was like, I do not want to have a family and be married like that woman, and I don't want to be that. That was so transformative for me. To, it was like I was seen into my future. You have a choice, Hope. Are you going to be that person or that person? And I wasn't expecting that. And so that was huge for me. That was huge. So if you have an opportunity, if you're listening, you know, go to a group, you know, if, if something like an outpatient program or an inpatient program, if you're dealing with something that's really life-threatening, like I was, it, it, your anxiety is life-threatening, please go. If it's a free church group or whatever it is, being with other people that get it can be so helpful. And with with the internet, there's no excuse for not finding people yes. 
because there are apps, and I say this in every podcast, there are apps like Meetup that you can download and find communities or groups that are taking place around where you live within a 20 kilometer radius and you can go and participate in them. So if you have friends that are not understanding or you have family that are not understanding, get this app, download it, find groups, participate in these groups. That's the first thing I would do straight away. The second thing is I, I did, I've, I've done a podcast with a comedian from Iceland, Iceland called Dan who attempted suicide a number of times a number of times and what changed his life was and he has Tourette's as well and what changed his life was he checked into a psychiatric unit which is a big thing you know people think you're in a straight jacket you're in this room and you, you, you it wasn't nothing like that and that thing changed his life forever what he learned in that unit is the reason he is who he is today he read books they told him how to think and the, the way they spoke to him they made him feel and they made him understand was what made this guy had attempted suicide i i lost the number of times he was telling me he was in a state of for a period of 15 20 years and like you said you went in and got spoke to people who understood and gave you hope the key here is hope never give up hope because you do not know what's around the corner we can assume the worst we can assume the world's gonna end we can assume armageddon's going whatever 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 whatever's going on you're gonna lose your house but you don't know that nobody knows that we need to learn to live in the moment there and once we learn to live in the moment that's the key and that isn't just me saying learn to live in the moment and then oh yeah live in the moment this could take time but you need to program yourself to do that coming back to your father and i think it's very i see a lot of older people suffering from these kind of issues i think they're suffering because when they went through the key periods in life people didn't understand what this was you know because it's not yeah it was shameful it was and people used to go they've gone off they've gone dulali or whatever it was not a real understanding and it's a shame because we're very lucky we're living in an age where this is understood. There's a lot of good information out there. The thing that You've got to be careful with the internet because there's a lot of good stuff and a lot of bad stuff. And you've got to be careful what you read. A lot of these clickbait articles, five ways to get better and five ways to do this and ten ways to do that are, are really not ideal. You want to, What I found really useful was reading success stories. So if I was suffering from anxiety or health anxiety, I would read success stories of people who have who had suffered similarly and come out the other end. So I thought, oh, if they can do it and I can do it. And that's the key, really. You are not the only one suffering in this world. There are millions of people that suffer, probably billions of people that with, with mental health. And there are millions that are, are coming through this in a positive way. And that's the key. If you were in the 70s or the 60s, yeah, then there is a problem because there, nobody knows about this. And the way the medical profession works is, if it's not physical, a broken arm, a broken shoulder, they don't know what to do. And that is the truth. Only now in the UK is, is our National Health Service coming up to speed with, with, with mental health. Before, they were not up to speed with this. And I think, but with the internet, you can't overcome this. Um, I agree. I agree. And remembering too, if it's not a positive group, get out, get out of there. If it is a nothing but I'm worse than you are, get out of there. If it is not supporting you and it's it's sharing stories, but it's also saying you can do this and here's some tools to help. If it's just, you know, a constant like, 
you, you know what I'm saying? There's that line of where it's just like some people, they like, they like their sadness. They like their, their life where they are and, and they don't want to get better. They just like hearing about how bad they're doing and that makes them feel good. And so just know, just know, I pray for those people, but your health is so important and your health is the priority. Make sure you find a group online, offline, wherever, that it is a supportive community where those people are also called out and saying, hey, man, like, let's stop this cycle. You know, let's just not keep talking about it over and over and over again. Like, let's help you. Like, we can, like, how can we support you? Because that's one thing I realized for my recovery is when I would get around people that all they wanted to do was talk about their anxiety, but they didn't want solutions, that gave me anxiety. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, and I think that's very important because just to going back on the on the element of hope and getting around and you can change. I I've done a, a podcast with uh, I forgot his surname now, which is really bad. A guy called Ben. I'll put the link below. Um, this guy was a very successful international business manager, I think he was, and he had a girl. He was from the UK. His girlfriend was from Canada, so they went on holiday to the Dominican Republic, and they were going for a walk. And a car crashed into him. And when the car crashed into him, um, Ben went into a coma. And he woke up in the UK after 30 days. And when he woke up, he couldn't remember anybody. And after, t- after not remembering anybody for two years, he suddenly remembered his girlfriend. And thought, oh, I had a girlfriend, what happened to her? And she had died on the spot, which he didn't know about. And he took that, what happened to him, in a positive way. And he does a TED talk now. And he has done a master's degree on this and written a book about this. And that is somebody whose life was turned upside down. And if somebody like that can do it, you can do it as well. And it's a, it's a great podcast. I'll send it you as well. And he, the way he dealt with that. And I, go, and I asked him, and I go, how did you deal with when you when you remember the girlfriend, he goes, I thanked God because I I, I, got, I was getting my memory back. And you know that is and there's always somebody worse off than you, which is very important to realise because we yeah. live we live in a very materialistic world where we just think we're 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 looking at people on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat and thinking, Oh my god, they're doing so good, why am I not? And really it's all filtered. It's all filtered. That's why I always tell people like, it's all filtered. You know, it's 58 selfies until they get the right one. It's edited videos, you know, and that was one thing that was part of my anxiety. Like, oh, they're doing so good. They're working so hard. Like they're so much better than me. And one is I realized I had to filter that in my life. Like I don't scroll much on Facebook. I don't look on Instagram in a way where it's like, ooh, like let's see who is looking better because I know what triggers me. So as you decide, like, okay, first you have to decide you want to get well. First, you have to, you have to feel like I don't want to live this way anymore because for five, 10 years, my parents tried to get me well. They dragged me all over the place. I didn't want to get well. I didn't want to get better. It wasn't until I made that decision myself that I didn't want to live this way anymore that I started opening myself and my life up to opportunities to try new things, yoga, counseling, uh, outpatient treatment, um, all different stuff. 
because I wanted to get well. And so do you want to get well? If you're listening to this, say it out loud. I want to get well. And if it makes you uncomfortable, say it anyways. You need to hear your own voice say, because guess what? Your brain is recognizing that. Your brain is hearing you say that and you are processing that. I want to get well, not I suck. I'm awful. I'm dumb. I'm stupid. I have anxiety because your brain only interprets what you say to yourself. So you say about someone else, you say it about yourself. Your brain only thinks it's about you. So start saying, I want to get well, and say it out loud. And, and once you decide to, you want, firstly, you have to understand that nobody's going to come and do it for you. You're going to have to do this. But once you go onto that road, you will start meeting a lot of good people on the way. And the key to that is, you know, going into these meetup groups, having counseling, whatever works for you, yoga, gym, diet change, psychologist, whatever works for you whatever works for you try everything until you're comfortable with something think yeah you know what that makes me feel better another thing that i recommend to the listener and the viewer is watch good stuff online you know don't watch um don't play fortnite or watch uh, keeping up with the kardashians which kind of really give you a false sense of of life i used to watch a lot of um motivational speakers i used to watch a lot of um a bit of Tony Robbins and there's a, there a few others that I used to just come across. And the only reason I used to watch them was they used to make me feel good. I used to think, wow, I didn't think of it like that. And that's the key. Whatever you watch is very important what's going on in your head. If you keep watching um, murder mysteries, then that's what's going to go on in your head. And you're going to end up not becoming, but it has an effect on you subconsciously. And I think it's important to, before you go to sleep, watch good stuff. I had a friend. She used to have a lot of panic attacks and anxiety and she started watching a lot of motivational speakers before going to bed because when she was trying to sleep, she couldn't sleep because she was overthinking and it worked for her and it worked for her. Which brings me on to my next kind of, one, one of my last questions is, and I ask everybody this because I'm very interested in this, I want to know why do you think mental health is on the increase, especially in the West? Uh, do you want my honest opinion? <laughs> Um, honestly, I think it's the type of lifestyles that we're living. We're too fast paced. We're not outside enough. We're not moving enough. Processed foods, just plethora. So we're lacking the vitamins and minerals that our bodies actually need for our brain to function. Um, serotonin, such serotonin, GABA, dopamine, all these things that guess what? Regulate whether or not you think bad things about yourself or good things about yourself, whether you're, you know, your flux and your depression, you're low in one, that's going to trigger more. I'm not saying that, you know, only look to those things or, you know, yoga is not going to help or whatever, but recognizing too, that you not only are what you eat, but you are how, what you surround yourself with. And so I recognized for me, those triggers I try to limit screen time. I make sure I get outside every day. I notice my anxiety is worse if I don't walk every single day. Yes, I'm outside in the winter walking outside. I realize that my anxiety and depression is worse um, when I'm not in the sunshine and when I'm not socializing. So I work a lot at home by myself. And so if I'm not out with people, I start to notice I start having worse thoughts about myself. And so for the West, that's a trend that I see happening. And I see it a lot in when young kids too, because they go from school, high stress school, this need to have these high test scores to perform well, to too many sports, too many activities. And then they're eating McDonald's, they're eating processed foods. And then they're going to sleep really late because they have a lot of homework. And it's just a cycle that I've chose for my own kids to stop and not do 
because I recognize that in myself that those things also trigger me. So I think it's it's a multitude of things, but definitely the high, fast pace, the overachiever nature that we have in the U.S. especially too. Like if you're not achieving, if you're not moving really fast like lightning, like you must be lazy. That's not true. Just because I don't want a million things in my life doesn't mean I'm, I'm lazy. It just means I have different values. And so I, I think what we're taught is good or successful should not be the case. And that makes people feel like this, like, okay, on a Sunday, I can't just watch the Packer game, or I can't just watch a movie with my family or read a book or go for a walk. I need to be at work. I need to be working out. I need to be all this stuff. And this happens. (laughs) And I started removing those things from my life. And I found that my anxiety was a lot less. And, And that to me was eye-opening that, okay, I can just remove these things from my life, not take another medication, not that I need to go change my whole lifestyle, move across the country, whatever. I bought a vitamin D lamp. Um, I sit in, my husband bought me an infrared sauna because I realized that that me being cold triggered my anxiety. I, I started making really simple, when I say simple, like not the typical like changes. And those had dramatic effects on me, dramatic. And I think it's um, very true what you say, especially when it comes to the food, because anybody that's suffering from um, panic, um, panic or overthinking or the mind racing, and you, what I found was uh, that I read exactly what you read, and I found out a lot of the foods that we are processed by the time it comes to your plate, it's it's about three four weeks old. The nutrients have gone, and a lot of people that suffer from mental health are usually lacking a form of magnesium if you if you've got if you, vitamins, yeah vitamin D. so for 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 the for the for the for the for the panic and the nervous system i i take a very a high dosage of a vitamin b of choline and insetol which help the the nervous system stay calm and i take a magnesium glycinate for the mind which stays very which helps you stay calm as well but these are the things that we should really be having in our foods and we don't because we eat a lot of processed foods as to coming on to your point regarding um what's successful and what makes you happy if your teacher says go out and get a high paid job or a solicitor's happy that's bullshit you could be happy being a dustbin man or a chef or a cleaner if that's what makes you happy so who are they to define what success is for you if somebody is happy doing seven days of work seven working seven days a work a week that's them if you only want to work three days a week that's you you know everybody has their own um i don't know what they're right. their own line their own their own set of goals and yeah listen to other people but then go how can i interpret that for me and when i started doing that for myself especially in the last five years i was a lot less stressed out about Um, whether or not I was being good enough. And that good enough thing was just a huge part of my anxiety where it was like, you know, I don't want that. I don't need that. I don't need a huge house with five bathrooms and my kids to have their own bedrooms. They actually like sleeping in the same bedroom. Like that's not like a, Ooh, I've achieved life or I don't need a master's degree. I don't need all that stuff for me. And when I realized that I wasn't any less of a person, I also started to notice I was valuing myself more. And here's the awesome thing. As I started to value myself more, I noticed other people were also feeling that. And I was I was gaining a different type of respect and a different type of relationship with people because I was more confident. 
And I believed in myself more. I really believed in myself. And that was such a cool feeling because I don't remember my past ever really believing in myself or ever really feeling like I was, I was good enough for anything. And to have that feeling at first, I felt like, oh, I'm such, I have such a big ego now. Or like, oh, like, who, who do you think you are? That was a voice in my head. Who do you think you are to think you're good at something or that, you know, you should feel proud and having that feeling and going, no, that's, that's not thinking I should have. I was also then interacting with people on such a different level. It, it was, I, I don't have to explain it. It was just a different level of interaction because I had a higher self-worth that I never had before. And people could feel that. Didn't think I was better than them, but they could feel that I valued myself. And yeah, you've got to value yourself uh, in this day. You know, never think that you're not good enough or somebody's better than you. You bring something else to the table, they bring something else to the table. That's the bottom line. As for people working in toxic workplaces, if it's a toxic workplace, get another job. Because I think it's very important that you are happy. You don't want to be doing something that you're not happy doing. You don't want to be hanging out with people that are not making you happy. And like I said before, there's a, there's a ton of new ways you can go and find new people to hang out with or speak to about. Hope, any last words from you? Um, yeah, my final words is, you know, no matter how hard it gets, don't ever lose hope. Do not lose hope. Because if you if you don't lose hope, you can move forward. You can keep stepping forward. The second that you lose hope, you're not going to make those strides. Even if it's so tiny, you're not going to allow yourself to do that. So do not lose hope. Please don't ever lose hope. I always like to believe if you're alive, there's still value for you. There's a purpose and a reason why you're why you're still here. Believe that for yourself. I believe that for you. Very true. Very, very true. And where can people find out about you? How can they connect with you, find out about your yoga programs? Yeah, so they can find out about my programs and where I'm speaking or teaching next at uh, Hope Zavara, that's Z-V-A-R-A.com. You can also find me on social media. I tend to hang out um, on Facebook or Instagram. So I'm posting stuff about my life um, and inspirational, I call it my daily doses of hope. Um, I'm posting those regularly and just giving you kind of a candid perspective of, um, what I've done for me to help my life and help others. And maybe I can help you through that too. I'll put the links below. My final words are thank you so much. Only if there's more people like you doing what you're doing and sharing their stories, the world would be a better place. I think it's very important for the listener to understand that it's not easy for someone like Hope to do what she does and to talk about her experience, but if she can do it, so can you. Hope, thank you very much, and I'm sure me and you will connect once again. Thank you so much. So much. Thank you.